Welcome to another episode of The Breakdown. This one's probably going to be a little bit heavier than some of the other ones. Folks, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, we are recording this on, he checks his watch, June 29th. So technically, we're still inside of, of Pride Month, and that's important because one of the things that we've seen over the last couple of weeks in particular has been a massive upswelling in... I'm just going to call it like it is, hate for the LGBTQ2S plus community. Um, there has been, we have seen violence in this country. We have seen, I feel comfortable calling it attempted murder in this country in more than a couple of ways. And we're seeing a lot more speech emboldening those kind of views. But there is some good news. There's some good things that are happening as well. And that's one of the things that we're here to talk about because there are members of that community who are stepping up in new ways to say, hey, you know what? Not on my watch, you don't. We're going to try to do some things here. We're very excited to be welcoming to the program tonight one of the executive directors of one of these organizations. It's kind of been a grassrootsy Facebook thing, but is looking up their game over the next little bit. Very excited to welcome to the show from the Queer Alberta Safety Net, Will Connor. Will, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me, Nate. Glad to be here. Good. Hope the introduction was okay. Ah, oh, it's fantastic. I love being associated with fear and terror. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, it's, it's great. Resisting the fear and terror, I think, is, a, is probably a, a, a good thing. Before we get into the Queer Alberta Safety Net and what you folks are have historically been up to and what you're trying to do, because you're looking to make some pretty big steps forward, uh, who is Will Connor? What's your story, man? Oh, my story. Uh, uh Born and raised Albertan, uh, you know, born in Edmonton, moved to Calgary, completed high school in St. Albert. It's kind of been around, lived in Canmore, bounced around a lot. Uh, mom was a social worker. Dad's a carpenter. Uh, went to school for social work, went to school for information systems. Still have two classes to finish there. I'm sure my profs would like me to graduate at some point. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been working in in. in information systems and IT most of my life and over the course of the pandemic uh, since you know Mr. Kenny got elected uh, have gotten involved with QASN and now find myself taking on a leadership role here so that's that's kind of my history I think okay so let's talk about the history of the 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 QASN as the the acronym goes for the cool kids out there um, the the Queer Alberta Safety Net. What's what is the Queer Alberta Safety Net? How did it come to be a thing? That's that's an amazing question. I have spent so much time the last couple of weeks trying to prepare that in a very succinct thing. Um, but I think the best way to say it is that we're a mutual aid and advocacy organization. Uh, so we've got uh, we came together in 2017 uh, on Facebook through Facebook. Uh, once the UCP was elected, there was a bit of a um, fear within the community that things would start getting a lot more stressful and uh, unsafe, especially for the trans community uh, in Alberta. Uh, our membership composition is, you know, 22% cis male and the rest is, is either female or, or trans. So, you know, there's a, a, a power difference in terms of gender politics, um, within our society. And so had a, a lot of people come together and look for initially it was to find people to go grocery shopping with that safely or go uh, clothing shopping with or referrals and recommendations to different service providers. 
uh, throughout the city. Um, and uh, we've made, you know, different recommendations and whatnot to, to Skipping Stone and other agencies and help people find doctors and psychologists and dentists who are trans friendly. Um, and over time, as we kind of grew and the word started to spread, people started asking for more and more different types of help. Um, things like post-op uh, supervision. So when people come back from Montreal for, for gender, uh, gender confirmation surgery, uh, they're often told that they need 24 hours of supervision within their house just to make sure that they're fine. Uh, we have people that have been through that process who volunteer to you know, go and sit with people and help them make sure that they're okay and take care of them and know how to respond if, if things go south and stuff like that. Uh, and then we started getting requests for emergency move outs. You know, can we get a bunch of people together, get some trucks together, uh, people trying to escape domestic violence or roommate violence or harassment from landlords um, because they are generally, you know, the, the issues around their general, or, sorry, <laughs> issues around their gender or sexual minority status. Um, we don't, we call ourselves a queer Alberta safety net. To some people that's a slur. Um, for us, it just means, you know, different, not from the norm. We like to say that we represent or we advocate for gender and sexual minorities. Um, and we also inclusive of BIPOC people. I'm actually the only cis white male in our leadership team. Uh, everyone else is, is trans or, or person of color. So, you know, it's, I, I'm, I'm, even though I represent the, the social majority uh, within our group, I'm actually the, the minority uh, using my, my privilege to be pushed out there to, to advocate for the community. So um, yeah, so over the years, you know, it's, it's kind of built up and now I'm doing, we call them missions, these different requests and interventions. Um, so we're doing, you know, one to two housing placement missions a week. Um, we're responding to requests from support from rural communities. We've been, you know, really helpful. Uh, so I've been told in Westlock, uh, advocating with their GSA and helping um, with organizing the community members uh, to, to show up and resist uh, anti-LGBTQ sentiment that uh, particular TBA organizers or TBA associated organizers have been out there agitating for. We've helped them establish their first uh, pride society. Um, and so it's basically that type of work. We have a community kitchen uh, and garden that we're working on in Calgary because one of our members is really, a couple of our members are really motivated on that. So we're lending logistical and operational support for that. We're starting up a protest uh, peacekeeper school for LBGPTQ protest peacekeepers. So they know how to uh, show up to these things and intervene safely, protect themselves, protect any protesters and counter protesters and, and not run afoul of the law or anything like that. Uh, we're working on a project to bring a bunch of uh, queer and, or LGBTQ plus organizations together for, I think it's an annual or semi-annual kind of conference to do best practices and make sure that we're not, or try to reduce duplications of services. So it's, it's that kind of stuff. My background, like I said, is in information systems. I, I love systems and policy development. You know, my favorite video game is Excel. Um, so uh, yeah, 
there, there's, there's a lot of uh, people on the ground with a lot of passion. Um, and I get the privilege of being able to stand up and organize and talk at length to people like you. That's a lot to take on. I mean, you, you've historically been, it sounds like, please correct me if I'm wrong. It's uh, historically, you guys have, been, you folks have been doing this um, from a very sort of grassroots organized through Facebook community based thing. Um, but you're looking to, to sort of formalize some of these things. Can you talk about that for a sec? Yeah. So, uh, this is a lot of work. Um, and it was eating up more and more of my time and attention and sitting down and coding was becoming less and less of a priority or reward for me and my family as well, who, uh, you know, my, my partners are also uh, supporting me on this journey, both emotionally and financially. So, um, what we're trying to do now is uh, step up and fundraise and, you know, uh, we are in the process of finalizing a board, writing bylaws, going through the society registration process with the province, which uh, is pretty easy from a process point of view, but um, having the experience of board development and, and, you know, uh, bylaw design and whatnot can be a little tricky and intimidating if you've never done it before. And I have a few times, so uh, that's what we're doing. Uh, we're trying to raise about, 60,000 in our initial run. Um, the, so that's about 600 people donating a hundred bucks. Where's the, the thing there? You know, if you want to send us $10 or $15, that email address will, will take your, uh, your money from you. If you send it, uh, we also have a Patreon sort of. Um, so that's there as well. Uh, and, and the reason for that is when going to funders like the province or, or foundations or even, large private donors, they want to see community buy-in first, right? So it's, you know what they say, it's easy to make money when you have money. So it's, uh, in fact, one of the grants from the province requires that you have $60,000 in community donations before you can apply uh, for matching funds and other types of grants to pay for staff and whatnot. Uh, so that's kind of what we're, we're going after. Okay. So you see my whiteboards back here. It's just kind of like full of my plans for the next two weeks. So I'm curious, like some of the things that you listed off there, those are, those are pretty big things to, to chew on that, that potentially have a fairly high degree of risk. I mean, you, you talked about doing sort of a, a protest school. Um, you know, I've been to a couple protests. They can be pretty dynamic and they can get really quite silly and quite frankly dangerous really, really quickly. So what kind of, how, how are you building something like that? From my perspective as the ED, um, my role is to bring people who have those uh, skills and passions together and those experiences and help organize and facilitate their organizational journey. So um, when it comes to the Peacekeeper School, uh, we have uh, a number of our members who have in, been involved in queer protest peacekeeping or counter protesting, uh, like the uh, drag defense and whatnot. We've organized volunteers to go out and do, you know, uh, drag show uh, counter protest defense um, or peacekeeping is the word that we're trying to use now. And so it's a matter of uh, getting the people together from various organizations throughout the province who, who have this experience and these skill sets and uh, figuring out what our best practices are as a community and then developing training materials that we can uh, release to other organizations. 
So when they're trying to figure out whether it's a small organization in Lethbridge or, you know, Canmore or wherever, uh, our, our goal is that they'll be able to go through our PowerPoints or webinars and whatnot and learn what they need to. And then we can connect them with the program designers uh, if they need more in-person help. Um, and then we kind of have a group of people that are relatively on the same page, uh, have training that is well understood and well accepted. And, you know, this is also stuff that we uh, have been working with uh, law enforcement liaison as well to make sure that we're not stepping on their toes and we know what their triggers and their priorities are um, and, and how they expect to respond in those types of situations and what we can and cannot do. Um, so it's, it's mostly about information collation and, and presenting, uh, presenting at that point. Um, now on the opposite side, we talked about a community garden and community kitchen. Like how do I get from peacekeeper school to a community kitchen and do these move out projects and, and everything else like that. And where I, my, my professional background is a managed service provider. So I do, or I've spent the last decade and a half, two decades, um, basically being a small business consultant and going from small business to small business and figuring out what the different issues and projects they have, breaking it down, designing a solution, and then finding the people to implement it. It's the same skill set, but just towards community activism. Now, I want to I talk about this, this protest thing a little bit, because you mentioned uh, a, a certain community that maybe got a, a little bit of attention recently because one of the, the, the organizers, alleged organizers, I'm, I'm getting really good at using that word. Um, but I mean, I think it's pretty clear that she's, uh, I mean, she's an admin on their, their telegram channel. So I think we can safely say that Benita Peterson is in fact, well affiliated with take back Alberta. She took, it seems umbrage with, uh, the notion, how dare anyone, uh, think to paint a sidewalk in more than one color. How dare they? Uh, and uh, that turned into a, a bit of, it almost sounds like from what you were saying in the pre-interview, and I want, I want you to talk about it a bit. I don't want to give it all away, but it, it sounds like maybe some people like to make a lot of noise and maybe didn't have the strength of their convictions. But like, talk about that whole experience. How did you get involved with that, that situation? You were just up there a couple of days ago. How did it play out? Uh, well, we'll st start from the beginning there, I guess. Um, I had seen uh, advertisements floating around online for a debate, or what is substantially promoted as a debate um, online on Zoom by Benita. And uh, I figured I'd go and check it out. Now, I have a history with Benita. We went to, she was my prom date. <laughs> we used to kind of party together back in Westlock. Um, and actually more Athabasca, she's from Westlock, uh, but we had a lot of mutual friends. And uh, so, you know, back in high school, that was kind of our little friend group. So I sent her a text message and I'm like, hey, Benita, you know, I'm here. Uh, I would love to, this is my role now. I, I would love to come and, and hear what you have to say and offer a contrasting opinion. So I participated in a, a series of I would like to use the word town hall or debate or discussion, but the moderation and facilitation skills 
of Miss Peterson are lacking. And it was more of a forum on her personal beliefs, if you will, um, to put it gently. And within that process, there were a number of residents of Westlock who had joined um, because it was open to all, you know, it didn't matter how right or left you were leaning and I'll, I'll give her credit for that. Uh, credit where it's due. Yeah, she was willing and receptive to try to hear other people. Um, even if she cut people off a lot, but it was through that process that I managed to kind of introduce myself to the residents of Westlock and, you know, ask, invite them to contact us if uh, we could be in any way of uh, support to them. And they did, and they were very scared. Um, very, very scared. They felt alone and isolated and under attack. Um, they weren't sure if they could fly their pride flags in front of their house without it getting vandalized. Uh, there was just, you know, a lot of feeling of being alone, which is the importance of, of the, the, uh, the pride crosswalk to begin with, which is something that the uh, kids of the RF Staples Thunder uh, Alliance, which is the GSA at that particular school, wanted to address. And that's why they fundraised for this and sought approval from city council or town council, who met twice and approved it twice um, because of her agitation. So we were able to kind of collect those people together and uh, help them through that process and help them find different resources from different activists and organizations around the province, provided peacekeepers um, for the event on two days ago. Sorry, I haven't had much sleep the last couple of days. There's a lot of been organizing, so my sense of time is a little messed up. Um, and yeah. So, and uh, now we've uh, also begun the process. We've had our inaugural meeting of Westlock's very first uh, Pride Society, the uh, Thunder uh, Rainbow Alliance is what it's going to be called. So, you know, uh, Benita set out to unite the community um, for a specific cause and she has succeeded, just wasn't the one she intended. Fair enough. So what was the, what was the, I mean, you talked about the event a couple days ago. Uh, what was the, can you talk about what, what was the event like? Oh, it was great. There was a barbecue, there was music. Uh, I think the city estimated around 400 people, uh, the town, sorry, uh, estimated around 400 people showed up. Um, the, they had uh, stepped up and cordoned off an area uh, about a block all the way around Um to, you know, so there was no vehicle traffic and whatnot, and people had the place, uh, the space to uh, assemble and celebrate and paint. Uh, the kids were out there painting the sidewalk, uh, I, or the, the crosswalk. I got a chance to, you know, paint uh, the sidewalk blue, um, which was awesome because blue is my favorite color. So I was really happy about that. Um, there was a whole section, though, uh, probably I'd say about a good block or half a block, depending on how you measure it set aside for anticipated protesters. Benita and her crew have been going door to door, um, putting leaflets in cars, showing up at churches, uh, trying to, you know, agitate and raise a, a protest against this event. And not a single person showed up as a counter protest. Nope. Actually, that's not true. We had, there was one person, there was an independent journalist who refused to identify himself. Did he, did he look anything like Caillou? Uh, I don't think so. No, we, okay. we, we, we have a list of, uh, we have a watch list. And so we generally kind of know who the agitators are and he wasn't somebody that was familiar to us. So. Okay. 
fair enough. But Benita wasn't there. No, Benita wasn't there. And I got to say that pissed a lot of people off. Um, I was agitated I uh, about that. I was, I was kind of looking forward to seeing her and hearing what she had to say. Uh, and I think a lot of people wanted to, uh, you know, show that the community had come together and we were here and they were going to stand in defiance. Um, but I, it was just turned into a nothing burger. It was a, a great celebration and party for the city. You know, the mayor was there. Uh, Janice Hearn showed up. Uh, she's from the area. Uh, we had uh, a number of, you know, candidates and, and MLAs from around the area show up. The Raging Grannies showed up. They're always wonderful. Um, activists from Edmonton and St. Albert also came out. So, but it was mostly uh, largely um, the community that showed up. It was the kids, it was the parents, it was the grandparents. Um, and one of the things that the mayor had said was, you know, paraphrasing a bit, but he said, it, it doesn't matter if we understand why this is necessary. It's just important that we accept that it is for some people uh, for them to feel safe and to feel seen and acknowledged and to, you know, change the, the culture of our town and wanted to let people know that Westlock is, open and accepting and welcoming for residents and, and businesses, right? So uh, it was uh, really exciting to see that type of uh, leadership and acceptance coming from town administration. So. Now I got I, I got something I kind of want to explore with you a little bit. You called it uh, the, 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 the protest, the counter, I don't know what the, the hate mongers I'm gonna go with. Um, you, you called them a bit of a nothing burger because nobody showed up. But do you, that being said, I mean, Benita Peterson has been seemingly working overtime to try to inflame as much emotion as possible in regards to the... I find myself thinking of, I saw a great little graphic on social media today where it talked about the, the gay agenda and it was like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, be fabulous, Tuesday, tacos. Um, but there, there is this perception that there is this gay agenda. We've saw it, we saw it manifest recently and horrifically in Leduc where the there were a couple of folks who decided to to invent their version of what the the progress pride flag is is about it was all lies to be clear um but it seems like there are a lot of people who are getting emboldened by the kind of speech that benita peterson is using um what are your what are your thoughts on that I think it comes down to, you know, something that we as a society have been kind of grappling with in the social media age uh, is, you know, our filter bubbles, our echo chambers. Uh, even sitting in on the Zoom meetings with Benita, um, whenever her ideas were being challenged or maybe recharacterized in, ter in terms that are better expressed with a social justice themed vocabulary. Um, sorry, I'm not trying to speak too much uh, in, in terms of um, activism speak, but sometimes it's hard, um, especially given what I do every day. Uh, whenever, whenever her ideas and concepts were challenged or, or, or recharacterized or rephrased, uh, she'd get upset and mute people and then cut off the subject, uh, sometimes often interrupt people. So I, I think that 
there's this ability to filter out the other side, even when the other side is genuinely trying to uh, engage with people and, and educate and share stories and hear questions and, and hear concerns. And, you know, like a lot of the stuff that I heard were things like, why do we need to stand out? We have friends that are queer and trans and they feel safe. Um, why aren't the straight people included in this? Why are we being excluded? Why do queer people get special exceptions on public property? Uh, you know, um, they're feeling like they're a minority. And then it's from there, it starts to devolve into the whole like, oh, you guys are a bunch of pedophiles and groomers and bestiality and necrophilia and all the weird stuff starts coming out and they start talking about gays against groomers and mile Milo. And I can't remember his name. I try not to remember it. Um, but I think you're, you're kind of what you're talking about. Uh, pride purists, um, you know, the uh, trans exclusionary uh, radical feminists, queer people who are what they call LBGs. They don't recognize the importance of sexual minorities or gender minorities within the sexual liberation movement. Um, so there's a lot of, for a movement that tries to bring dignity to diversity and tries to talk about inclusion, there's a lot of counter messaging out there of us and them, and you're not included in this. So you, Nate, as a cis white straight man, I'm assuming, um, you don't belong in our pride movement, according to these people, because you're distinct from it. And what our message is, is we are a part of your society. Uh, we want you to acknowledge that, you know, your white and black pride, straight pride flag is great, but there are more colors to the rainbow. And just because we do do things differently doesn't mean we're less people or less involved. So yeah, it's, it's the perpetuation of that echo chamber and the ability of the technology to easily filter out and silence those who disagree with you. See it a lot in a lot of groups online, whether it's the YYC Muslims or TBA or whatever Benita calls herself, you know? Um, yeah. I just want to, I just want to clarify. I, and I know that people watching this won't, won't see this and I don't think people will hear it, but while you were talking there, I was trying so hard not to laugh and I did a garbage job of not laughing. And the reason why is because, and I, I say this sp <laughs> speaking for my people, the, the, the straight white folks, um, we've had it really rough. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just so stupid. And, and that's why I laugh at it, because it's the, the notion that <laughs> uh, straight uh, cisgendered people are in any, <laughs> are at any, uh, facing any sort of threat is, is so laughable. Like, it's just, it's, it's so dumb to me. And that's, that's why I, because it's it, the notion that anyone would be like, oh, I'm. <laughs> well, you know, when it, it is and it isn't, uh, and it is because you understand what privilege looks like and how it impacts society. But if that's not something you've ever been brought up on, if that's not a conversation that you regularly have with your friends and family, uh, if you're not seeing the consequences of abusive privilege, then it doesn't make any sense to you. People don't understand what we talk about when we're saying that. And so when we have, you know, 
gender and sexual minorities or uh, BIPOC people pushing back and being like, no, like you, you guys are abusing your privileges here. You're abusing your power. We need to open things up and, and dismantle some of these systems of oppression. That can feel like oppression when that majority group is losing the power to do the things that they think that they should be able to do as a matter of natural privilege. Uh, even though they are systematic and institutionally created and reinforced things. Um, even as, as, you know, a pansexual man, that took me a lot to uh, recognize. When I first started going out to uh, uh, attending Mount Royal and getting involved with things like the Pride Society and whatnot, I had some pretty kind of turfy opinions that I didn't really realize were turfy at the time. Um, you know, and it took me a while to kind of realize that Oh, when we're talking about white privilege, it's not that I'm being intentionally a dick to other people. It's that I live on stolen land and people that look like me get to choose what the rules are and how the environment operates at the expense of other people. You know, um, as a male, that same thing type of the same type of thing happens uh, against females. I just happen to be exposed to it because I don't have that straight privilege on top of it. So now I've been confronted with having to learn what these systems look like and what the impacts are. And now I can hear and see these things and it, it, nobody likes to have their ignorance challenged. Nobody likes to be thought of as ignorant. Nobody wants to accept that they are ignorant. Even in this role, I know that I am, and I do not like being confronted to it. Uh, as I mentioned to you in the pre-interview, I am the only cis white male and my leadership team. Everyone else is trans, non-binary, persons of color, female. Um, so, you know, me sitting here with you is a bit of a privilege, but a, a lot of them don't want to do this work because they, it's not that they don't want to do this work. Let me rephrase that because they do. Um, and, and some of them do so publicly and, and do media appearances as well but they don't have that additional burden or I don't have that additional burden of having to get over my transness to be able to have this conversation with you and my audience. Right. So I have that relatability. So that's my privilege. Um, and I have the ability to kind of wield it for their end, but talking like that, thinking like that, learning how to understand like that, God, that's a slog. And when you're around peoples and communities, whether it's churches or just, you know, smaller social groups, that you, you would see in, you know, rural towns that don't have that kind of diversity of thought and expression. I can see why that's a struggle. Like I, I don't agree with the position, but I understand the process of getting there and having to unlearn and yeah, it's, it's not fun. <laughs> you know, it's not fun to uh, realize that you are intention unintentionally hurting people by doing things that other people are telling you that you have every right to do. I mean, to me, I think it, one of the ways that I, I've always thought of it is like <clears throat> when I'm walking down the street, like I can walk through downtown Calgary and I'm not really afraid of anything. I'm not, you know, if, if anything, people are looking at me going like, oh, I, I that, he's got tattoos and he's wearing a, a, a jacket with a big skull on the back. That looks like trouble maybe. Um, you know, that's, that's a, a part of 
what I would call my privilege is that I don't have to be afraid. And when, when you take a look at all of the groups that we've, we've kind of talked about and a lot of the groups that you just referenced in that, those are people who have good cause to be afraid because there are people like, I don't know, maybe Benita Peterson, who look at those things that, def that make up who they are and they go, I'm going to make that a target. Absolutely. And it's, it's frustrating. Um, I, I wear a kilt all the time. Uh, my first generation Canadian, my mom, my grandparents, you know, came from Scotland and Ireland. Uh, so for me, it's kind of a cultural thing, but it's also, I just like wearing it. So I wear a kilt all the time. My joyfriend has recently started uh, walking around in uh, dresses and skirts all the time and is going to be starting on HRT. Um, and so their, uh, you know, their physical outward appearance is going to start changing. But when we're in public spaces, I often see people glaring at them. Um, at the same time, while they may be complimenting my kilt, it, it, it's mind blowing to me, you know, just because I don't know, maybe aprons make it cool and having all pleats is what's too dangerous. I really don't understand it. Uh, or, or, you know, the sporn makes it sexy, I suppose, but yeah, it's, it's, it's really scary. Uh, a lot of our members have come up to me and they're like, should we start carrying knives? Should we start carrying bear spray? My response to them is no, because I don't want to believe that things have gotten that bad, but a lot of them are because they're worried about being attacked. Right. And that was, goes back to our founding when we first started people like things might be getting bad in Alberta they're going to get worse you know we're going to have to start traveling together uh, to do things in public and now here we are five years later four years later and it's getting worse um, the right is getting more emboldened uh, we're seeing more public attacks you know look at the University of Waterloo yesterday students learning about gender and uh, uh, gender issues in a university classroom, listening to a lecture and somebody comes in, asks if this is a gender studies class and then starts stabbing people. What the fuck, you know? Um, I manage the social media for QASN and our email and whatnot. And I tell you some nights, the, the shit that gets thrown at us. Um, we've been working on a, a file with Lacenza, um, uh, L Brands. So that's Lacenza and Victoria's Secret. The stores in Calgary and Edmonton have taken it upon themselves to decide that if a trans woman wants to come in and be sized or use the change room, that all cis women have to be removed. Um, that's not corporate policy. We've clarified that with L Brands. Uh, we've checked with other stores across the country from Toronto to Lethbridge. Um, and to them, that's an absurd idea. Their, their belief is that trans folk are welcome in and they're really excited to participate in that process of self-discovery and whatnot. Uh, but for some reason in the major centers, you know, you're going to have to be humiliated and ostracized and pointed out uh, just because somebody perceives you're different. We have a story of Spencer in... Vancouver, uh, the nine-year-old who somebody randomly decided that they, you know, are going to confront the soccer player and demand to see their genitals to make sure that they are on the right gender team. 
none of this stuff has ever been acceptable, but it's becoming more and more part of the mainstream. And what we're trying to do, what I'm trying to do, we're trying to do is we're trying to connect all the different organizations and activists and service providers and bring people together so that one, we're not duplicating services, but also so that we're hearing and having the same conversations and we're becoming more aware and we can better support the career community across Alberta because this isn't a Calgary problem. It's, it's a, a, a North American problem and it's getting worse and social media is making it worse. So yeah, I, I wish, I wish I, I knew what to say. I, I try not to cry, but like some nights when I go through our inboxes or our notifications, um, and I'm not trans, but I, I have to process a lot of that trans hate and filter it out so I can actually provide the good messages to the rest of my team so we can be effective of what we're doing. And the, the, the vitriol is, it's, it's overwhelming and it's not just restricted to social media. It's broken free. It's happening in the streets. It's happening in front of city hall. It's, happened at city hall in westlock I, I think benita even got banned from uh, their town council because of the comments or, or somebody uh within that has been banned uh leduc a couple of days ago i'm not sure if you saw you know what happened there uh i have friends that live in leduc as well who are uh, gender and sexual minorities and their whole thing is like yeah we don't even bother like trying to be queer to 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 not present as a straight white redneck males because it's not safe um so what does that do to our culture and our conversation there's the impact on the individuals who have to live with it who you know fighting tears having conversations with media about it but it it also like as a form of a of oppression it really takes away from the conversation we're not learning about ways to love and support each other and engage with each other when we're constantly defending ourselves and our ideology from each other you know i mean to me it's it's i just i don't understand the the interest like why do you why does anyone have like, don't these people have hobbies? People need to take up making puzzles or something. Because if you're so obsessed and upset with the fact that somebody else is living their life differently than you're living yours, and they're not hurting anyone, like, it, it's... This is the hobby, me. It, it, it is totally a hobby. So when, they need when a better I was hobby. on the, the video call with the Westlock folk... Um, you know, there is this one lady and I won't name her because, you know, not her fault. This is a cultural thing. It's not an individual thing. Um, she was asking like, why all of a sudden are, are the queers running around promoting their sex flag and their pedophilia? Like who's manipulating the agenda, uh, to make this a thing. And I'm like, well, what do you mean? Like all of a sudden, you know, like queer history goes back to the epic of Gilgamesh or our earliest known written piece of work was a queer hero love story get over it um <laughs> but I, I asked her you know genuinely because you know, i'm not going to respond to somebody who's engaging with me honestly uh the way i just responded to you that's not fair um i would I, I asked her like what came before that and she's like well before that it was the jab and then it was the convoy so you know these are the same type of people they're falling in the same groups it's 
we, we talk about, we, you guys talk about it in the media all the time. We talk about it in our circles. It's, it's the convoy folk. It's the anti-vax folk. It's now the queer stuff. It's, it's the culture of hate and outrage that is going around from scapegoat to scapegoat. I just, but I mean, like you said something in there that I just want to jump on real quick because I think it's so important to, it blows my mind that this needs to be said out loud because to me there are some things that should just be self-evident to anybody who's got two brain cells to rub together. But, you know, there's a big difference between, to my understanding, a, a queer person or a member of the LGBTQ2S plus community and a pedophile. Like, those are not the same thing. Like, a pedophile is a pedophile. And that's the end of that story. And to try to equate pedophilia with the LGBTQ2S plus community is to me the laziest kind of hate mongering because... I mean, I'm not saying, but if you want to take a look at what groups tend to have the highest numbers of pedophiles popping out of them, um, maybe not so much with the, the LGBTQ2S plus community at large. I mean, statistically, it tends to be straight men. Um, in, in the conversation, somebody had mentioned, uh, the online conversation, somebody had mentioned that, you know, as evidence for pedophilia, uh, mentioned Jeffrey Epstein. And I had to be like, whoa, that was a straight man preying on girls with other straight men. That's your guys' problem. That has nothing to do with us. You know, own your own. Um, <laughs> and, and many in my group will be like, don't forget to talk about the priests, but I'm not going to do that. Because um, the, the fact of the matter is uh, there's deviance and there's abuse. Uh, and then there's difference and diversity. Um, and those are not the same things and they are not slippery, slippery slopes. When you look at things like BDSM and kink and whatnot in the queer community, these are cultures of consent and negotiation and of awareness because, you know, as, uh, you know, uh, Mr. Savage uh, so eloquently put it, when you get two guys together, it's not evident which parts go where. You have to talk about it. Um, <laughs> so we have entire cultures around negotiation and expression and whatnot. And we, we, we try to bring that out into all of our relationships, uh, sexual or non-sexual, where we want to be able to negotiate our friendships, negotiate our family arrangements, negotiate the expectations that we have with each other, and make sure that that is the exact opposite of a pedophilic approach. And I mean, the the notion to me, there's there's such a dissonance that exists. We've we've seen the the outrage over the the drag story time stuff, and it's like, if you don't want adults to read to kids, who, who, who's going to read to them? Like, if the disqualifying factor is, I don't know how I feel about adults reading to kids. Well, I mean, what do you have against reading? First of all, um, and second of all, who's going to teach the kids to read? Like 
there's no difference to me for like somebody somebody in a, a, in Darth, a Darth Vader, Vader costume reading, reading to kids, kids than, than there is uh, somebody, somebody who's, who's doing, doing a drag performance reading to kids. And uh, there's certainly, you know, different types of um, performances that exist, but that goes all the way along the line. You can go to any given movie theater and you can watch the latest Disney Pixar joint and, and you can, can also, also watch a film that has nudity in it. Does that make movie theaters bad? Like the logic is just so fundamentally flawed. It's 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 mind-blowing to me, but what's really tragic about it is the fact that it's not, you know, we're not talking about an inanimate object like a movie theater. We're talking about people who are being unfairly persecuted for other people's bullshit. And it's 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 beneath everybody. I don't see anyone, you know, uh, protesting the Stampeder girls. Why, why do, you know, cheerleaders get to come out and granted they're talented athletes. I'm not picking on them specifically. Um, but you know, you want to talk about accusations of indoctrination and whatnot. Have you looked at popular media media? Have you attended a sports event? Have you gone online? Like, drag is satire drag is a form of uh of you know uh, of clowning gender expression but it's also a found uh, a form of experimenting with gender expression uh it's is effective for you know feminist liberation or female liberation as it is for trans liberation as it is for gender identity and expression and testing and and playing with it and it's saying that what we put on doesn't matter. Again, why is it that I can go to a superstore and have some dude compliment me on my kilt while his wife is glaring at my partner for wearing a skirt? I wish I knew the answer to that. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. So what's next for the Queer Alberta Safety Net? Are you, are you looking to build board members? Are you looking to build networks? Are you, you know, you've already done the, the very effective plug for money earlier. So what, what are the other things that, that you're looking for? If somebody wants to get involved, if somebody wants to contribute, if, whether it's through, you know, not all, not all people have money, but they maybe have some free time. How do people do that? What do they do? What do you want? Hit up our website, take a look. There's not a lot there, but there's a row of uh, links to social media. Uh, so we're on like Telegram, Reddit, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, you know, I, I'm looking for uh, experienced board members. I'm looking for people who can help me write with grant applications. I'm looking for volunteers. I'm looking for team leaders. Uh, we have requests from um, other municipalities to come in and help them uh, set up pride societies. And, and organize there, um, you know, what I would suggest is if somebody wants to get on board, contact us and wait for a mission to show up or propose one. Let us know what your skills are and we'll try to make it work and we'll try to find the people that you can work with or, you know, uh, and, and, and get those things solved. I, I think that I, I really take the network part of this really seriously um, I, I, I see a lot of good labor happening out there in the community, both queer flavored and not, but a lot of those nodes, a lot of those individuals don't have the linking edges, right? So when we talk about graph theory, we have nodes and then we have edges. Um, we want to be that edge uh, between those nodes and bring people together so that they can operate effectively and communicate effectively. So if you think that you might 
benefit from some help from the queer community. If you're a member of the queer community or an ally, show up and ask for help. If you think you can offer help, show up and offer help. Um, it, it's really about listening and then seeing what resources are available and then coming together to put together a plan and executing on it. So uh, if you're just in any way interested in getting involved, um, I mean, yes, I want money. <laughs> uh, we, we, do, we do need money. We, we have expenses. Um, my salary is definitely going to be one of them, but it's also things like, you know, driving out to Westlock uh, for a day and, and, and feeding people and buying things like radios and Gatorade for uh, our move out operations or being able to pay for gas for volunteers or, you know, stuff like that is also a large part of our operations. I try to be very conservative with how I spend money. Um, what I really try to do is focus on volunteer activation and appreciation. So yeah, I'm not trying to, we're not trying to be a, a universal agency, but we're trying to be a kind of a communication and coordination network, if that makes any sense. Okay. Now I got to ask, I have, I, have, I have one more question and then I'll, open it up for anything else to say you mentioned the the social media stuff um why is why is linkedin a thing i don't get it i've tried to understand why people use the linkedin and it's i don't I, why i i mean there there is an argument to say that it is kind of like the cult of corporate talent and there are some definitely definite issues there. But I think in terms of LinkedIn, it, at least from my perspective, it sets a tone or sets expectations, right? So if people are, are interacting with us on, on Telegram or they're interacting with me on, on Facebook and whatnot, it's kind of a more uh, a personal relationship. Having a, a database of people's resumes and kind of experience uh, makes it a lot easier when you're looking for help or connections. You know, if I'm one of the things the Alberta government is notoriously bad at is being transparent. And I don't just mean being transparent to the population, but I've heard this from other levels of government. And I've even heard from people within the Alberta government is that the, the protection of power is often, um, facilitated by the withholding of who is responsible for what of those phone trees, if you will, or of those uh, departmental lists and assignments and so on. So I think LinkedIn kind of gives us a way around that. Uh, if I'm looking for a specific agency or department, I might be able to find somebody there that I can kind of contact and reach out to. Uh, so I find LinkedIn for us is a really good way to find allies. I just don't get it. It, it is kind of culty, though. It is. And it's like, it's all business speak. Uh, I find where somebody is like, oh, uh, there's numbers and stuff. But, I mean, your favorite game is, is Excel, so it could just be a, a thing. Anything else you want people to hear, man? Anything else you want people to know before I let you go? Uh, I totally would love to come back and talk about stuff as it goes. But um, anything I want people to know. Four hundred to one. That's what I want people to know. In Westlock, if there were four hundred people out there to celebrate 
diversity and dignity and inclusion in their community. And there was one person hiding in the corner with a camera. The noise that we're seeing isn't representative of the entire population. There may be 150 people, 200 people out protesting in front of City Hall about queer rights, but the city also has 1.4 million people and there are 1.3 million people and the vast majority of them don't give a shit. Um, and most of them are on our side. They're, they just don't know how to express that without getting themselves in trouble. So, you know, have the conversations with people. That's kind of what Pride Month is about is... I, I kind of like this time of year because it's it's the year that I really ramp up communications and, and start activism because I have kind of a captive audience in the population. We're all primed for it now. It may not be as easier to to get these type of messages out in the middle of August or, you know, uh, straight Pride Month is coming up uh, with Stampede. <clears throat> Sorry. There, there are a lot of uh, queer members of the, uh, of, of the rodeo community too. Uh, AGRA used to be an organization uh, that dealt with that or uh, facilitated that, the Alberta Gay Rodeo Association. But yeah, it, 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 it's bad and it's getting worse, but it's not totally bad all the time everywhere. And I think that if we are wearing our flags, you know, uh, if we are being authentic to ourselves, if we're willing to challenge people and have those conversations. And, and if you want to be an ally and you see stuff going like that and going down like that in public, stop people. Just be like, hey, that's not appropriate. You know, you may think this is cool, but you don't understand that this is hurting people in a way that you can't possibly fathom. Um, make noise, be out, be loud, be proud. That's what we say we're here get used to it awesome thanks so much for taking the time to chat tonight i really appreciate it more than welcome thank you for having me it's been a lot of fun and that's it for another episode of the breakdown as always if you appreciate the kind of content that we're trying to produce here we would love nothing more than if you thought about signing up to be one of our patreon sponsors at www.patreon.com slash the breakdown ab where for just the price of a fancy cup of coffee a month you can help us continue to produce this kind of content. Whether you're listening to the audio version of the podcast, in which case, maybe leave a, a review and a rating, or whether you're watching it on one of our streaming platforms, we wanna say a big thank you to everybody who is part of the Breakdown's audience. And as always, take care of each other and keep the conversation going. <laughs>